0: Welcome to We Fish ASA, the best darn fishing show on the radio and the internet in the entire USA. My name is Steve Serley. I'm here with my partner Dave Kranz. We Fish ASA is always pleased to offer you a conversation with the most interesting, the most informative, the most entertaining, as well as some of the biggest names in the world of fishing. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. In particular, St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion. And, Iowa. We've got your bass covered. We certainly do. Daiwa Reels. We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available 24-7 everywhere you get your podcast. Don't forget, you can always get it at our website, wefishasa.com. We Fish ASA is produced by our executive producer, Mr. Brad Nearman, down in Landau Lakes, Florida, calling himself Berserk Productions. Thank you, Brad. Appreciate it. On today's show, we feature Dan Johnston from St. Croix. We're going to visit with Gene Gilliland, formerly the conservation director for BASS, He's a member of the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame. He lives and breathes conservation. He'll give us an update as to what's going on in fishing conservation in the world of fishing. Then I get to visit with a gentleman named Rodney Honeycutt, author of a book called Long Guns and Great Fishing Runs. This guy has fished with everybody, professional fishermen. Uh and now author Rodney Honeycutt. This guy's got an incredible story to tell. Can't wait to talk to him. But first, let me hand off to
1: Dave Kranz, who's gonna bring on our good friend Dan Johnston. Take it away, David. As Steve said, I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast, and this segment is always brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. And we almost always have Dan Johnston. How you doing, Dan?
2: Dave,
1: we're doing great, Dave. Thanks for having me. Oh, you, you are welcome, and uh, this is the last episode of the year. So, happy New Year to you and all our listeners.
2: Yeah, you beat me to that one. I was going to wish all our uh, listeners that Happy New Year as well. It's been a it's been a great ride. We look forward to a lot more episodes. Yes,
1: absolutely. We're we're uh, in year seven here. Looking forward, to, uh, boy, June sixteenth, we'll be starting the eighth year of this program. Looking forward to that, and. You know, about once a year we talk about line. There's so many different lines that continue to change, uh, I believe, for the better. And there's uh, a reason to have different lines, isn't there?
2: There is. I I think it's important to understand why that's the case. And certainly lines have changed a lot for the better, no question. And even in the last few years, the braids have gotten smaller diameters. Um, The knot strength is better on pretty much all lines. Um, They're more consistent, and I could go on and on. But, yes, it's critically important to uh, understand lines, and they all matter for certain applications. Certainly some are more universal than others, but there's some situations where it's just pretty much mandatory to use a certain line because sink rates are different. The visibility of the lines, the stretch rate, which is huge, um, not strength, all those things really are all consistent with what we're trying to do.
1: Yeah, and it, it helps people catch more fish. And there's different lines for uh, different types of rods, whether whether different powers of rods. There's so many different things that... that can help you improve and make you better if you're using all the right components
2: yeah you know and i think understanding the different categories of lines let's just talk about stretch rates for a minute here you know lines that have zero stretch your polyethylene lines your braids or fused um have zero stretch and then your monos have the most and fluorocarbon is in the middle certainly closer to mono but stretch is certainly less than than uh, uh stretches more than uh, braid a lot but just a little bit uh less than mono so if we think about that and we tie in the power and action of the rod we can absolutely catch more fish because if you get a rod that's too stiff with a line that doesn't stretch with a bait a fish is trying to inhale obviously that's not a good scenario where if we match it correctly and we get a softer deflecting rod with a slightly lower stretch line um, with increased sensitivity, that can really help us a lot. So it's, it's important to understand these things and really think about it, is what do we want that bait to do in the water? How does the fish take the bait? And that matters because Bass don't take all baits the same. I mean, they'll, they'll obviously inhale everything, but sometimes they're sucking it down through cover and slop, and other times they're picking it up up the bottom, and other times you're tracking behind it and inhaling it. So it's really important to kind of tie everything together—not just the lines, but certainly the rods and the that we're using—and tie that whole system together.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, I think sometimes people are confused by it, but uh, there there isn't one line for all applications. You can't do everything with one thing but uh you said there's some cases that you definitely have to use and you just mentioned slop if, if you're not using a heavy braid for punching or fishing heavy weeds or heavy cover or even uh, lots of rock or wood you're not going to get them out of there are you
2: well you're not going to get this many that's yeah. for sure. And I, I don't know if I necessarily believe in the word can't. I, I, I think somebody could put a spool of braid on their reel and fish pretty much everything. Now, is is it good for drop shot? No, you'd want to put a leader on that. Um, is it good for a crankbait in certain situations? No. No. Uh, it's perfect for some things, but I think the fact of the matter is I think a person could get away with braid and fluorocarbon 90% of the time. And I say that because braid has some of the attributes that mono has with regards to the fact that it doesn't sink super fast. Yep. So you can still fish a topwater on it. But that fluorocarbon is so advantageous. I use fluorocarbon, Dave, now I'd say more than anything with crankbaits, um, chatterbait and pretty much 100% less than a heavy bit agitation on that i um, using it a lot for crappie now um, using it for walleye a lot I love its sensitivity and I love the fact they can't see it
1: yeah yeah and that's uh, there's all good things there and uh, um, how about uh, pound test on uh, or diameter because sometimes I, I think with the braids you really want to use the diameter line that works best for your, your application not set necessarily how much strength it is
2: well, there's no question. The braids are all over the map. We're using a, I don't use anything a whole lot heavier than 65. I use a ton of 30 and a, and a ton of 50. Those are my two go-to braid sizes for bass. I'll throw 30 all the way down with crankbaits, and I'll punch and throw a frog with 50. Um, but there are times, and this is interesting, especially with fluorocarbon, where I will use way heavier line than i have to and i know people are probably rolling their eyes but the best example i could give you is on a chatterbait i like to use 20 because i like the way it fishes the bait It, it connects to the bait better it affects the fall rate when i kill it um it's super strong and i like that but it's a heavier line than i would have to use but i like what that bait does in the water with 20 compared to 15 if
1: that makes sense it does. You you just said something that I want you to explain to those that don't understand what you said. You like the fall rate when you kill it. Uh, explain that a little bit for the listeners that didn't understand what that meant.
2: Well, it doesn't free fall, and the bait doesn't foul near as much. I mean, you I can take a chatterbait um, and I can fish it Slow like I do more than fast anymore. I've slowed way way down with this thing. But if I'm reeling it slow and I kill it, it will number one fall slower. But it stays connected. The line stays just connected enough with it where it doesn't go into a free fall. And I'm feeling those bites Mm. ten times better than I ever was before. And it's that's that was a matter just playing around with stuff. I went all the way down to twelve because I thought I'd get more bites on it. I hated the way it fished with twelve. It was too erratic. But with with twenty, it just it stays connected. The bait hunts just enough, but not too much. But when I kill it and let it fall, I'm getting a lot more bites with it that way.
1: There you go. It, it, that that. Thank you for explaining that. Appreciate that. Uh, so you were saying uh, we talked about punching and heavy heavy cover. How about for top water? You said that the braid and uh, the mono uh, can be used uh, both because of lack of sink rate. That and that would be applied to top water, wouldn't it?
2: Doing three things with topwater now, Dave, if we take the frog out of it. Frog's 100% braid, but we're talking about more open-water topwaters. Yes. I'm using braid. Airboard, yeah. yeah, I'm using braid directly in some cases if I'm trying to throw it a mile. and Primarily because, obviously, with a zero-stretch line, if I put a cadence on a spook on the end of my cast with braid, that bait's reacting to that, stre- that zero-stretch line way better than it would any line that stretches. However, I use a lot of monos with popping baits, smaller walking baits um, because mono floats and I want that element of stretch because I don't want to take it away from them. I'm doing a lot of that with a spinning rod uh, but some with a bait caster also. Um, and and then another thing that I really started doing a few years ago is I'm putting braid to a mono leader on topwaters and that is a beautiful combination because what I don't get the hooks fouled up very very rarely. Sometimes straight braid you will, um, but you get the zero stretch of braid, you get the castability of braid, uh, but The action of the bait with that mono and that little, little bit of stretch sometimes can protect
1: them. How about the length of the mono leader you're using? Are you using less than you would use for floral? It's got to be really, really short because I don't want the knot into my tip. And that's a, and
2: thank you for bringing that up. Sometimes my drop shot leader is 14, 15 foot long, way into my reel. Um, there's other times where I'll fish other bottom baits that way too. But a Ned Rig, I do that all the time in clear water, super long leaders. Top water, I will never, ever do that. I don't want, a lot of times I'm target casting, I'm using heavier mono for a leader.
1: So I don't want that knot going through my tip. So that thing's no more than two foot long. Excellent, excellent, excellent. How about for live bait? What, what, what are we doing there for those? Because there's a lot of live bait fishermen out there that uh, don't fish tournaments and aren't, uh, you know, core bass guys, but the panfish uh, guys and, and uh, crappie guys, what, what are we doing there?
2: Mono is a big king for a lot of those things, Dave, because you can run a slip bobber on it. Obviously, your bobber goes up and down, the bobber stops, it doesn't slip on the line. Million reasons I could give you. It's very friendly, you can tie every knot in the world with it. It's a monofilament, is one line where you can just get away with improved clinch knot all day long and uh, it just ties great it handles well on the spool it has just enough stretch for people that don't fish a lot if you hook up to that thing that's beyond manufacturer's recommendation we've all done it when we have a kid out and a big car takes it or whatever so i i really like that now i also am a big believer of using real light um polyethylene fused line not necessarily a braid but a fused line it doesn't it's not braided like a girl's hair so it's very smooth off the reel uh, like a fire line or lines like that with just a jig and a twister tail because you just don't have to retie it all day and you can see it which is great for kids and people don't fish a lot i use a white line and they can actually see it in the water and you can tell them watch for that thing to jump or go left or go right and it's a it's a visual indicator that you don't get as much with model unless you use a real high vis one but you still can't see it like you can that white line
1: no absolutely not always good tips from uh, dan johnson and uh definitely i uh, appreciate you all the time and this year uh again happy new year and, and look forward to uh 2023 wow yeah Dave, we look forward
2: as learning as learning as much from our listeners as we a small part we provide on giving information. I mean that sincerely. This has been fantastic. I look forward to next week.
1: Yeah, excellent. Look forward to it too. That was Dan Johnston. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote, and this segment was brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth, the Wheatfish ASA podcast. We'll be right back. Probably one of the number one questions I get you know, what line do I use?
0: That's a big debate. For every tour out there, everybody's debating which line. I choose the simple side. My choice of line is Sunline, and my
3: favorite lines to use is Sunline.
0: How all can you use it? Anywhere you want to. Anywhere there's water and bass, it's good. Walleye, catfish, trout, speckled trout, everybody. sharks. There we go.
1: Uh, I don't say this unless I think it's true, but honestly, it's the best in the market. Welcome back to the We Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Cran. Steve Styler is remote, and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Our next guest certainly has a passion for the outdoors. He is Gene Gilliland, and he is National Conservation Director at Bassmaster. How are you doing today, Gene?
3: I'm doing well. Thank you for having
1: me on. Oh, we're glad to have you on, and... and uh, Pretty good year, I think, overall for conservation. A lot of things going on, and I, I think probably because more people are aware of uh, taking care of everything we have on this planet it helps the fisheries, doesn't it?
3: Well, I think, of course, you, you have your wins and losses anywhere you look at it, uh, and a lot of it depends on the, your perspective. Uh, you know, a lot of the things that we deal with from, from the BASS standpoint certainly is anything related to bass fishing and and then that that sort of even step that up a level to to just general things like the water quality and the health of our lakes that that affect fishing in general uh, not just bass fishing but uh, you know the things that can improve uh, fishing for for everybody uh, but we've we've had some challenges uh you know certainly there are things that Mother Nature throws at us, uh, and then there's always politics that <laughs> that unfortunately is is one of the the worst parts of my job.
1: Yeah, I, I can see that. That's uh, because uh, you gotta get people that are willing to learn and get informed by the people that have that knowledge, and in many cases, the politicians don't seem to always take that time to do that. Um, even if it's what's best i mean forget about how many there i think they look at the votes uh, how many votes and when it comes down to it so many races are 151% to 49 anymore you're never going to please half of the people
3: yeah yeah and you know the i think one of our biggest challenges in the, in the conservation world right now is is getting anglers and voters motivated to to speak out, to be advocates, to get involved in these uh, discussions, whether it's it's working with a state fish and wildlife agency or with a lake authority or uh, any sort of organization. Unfortunately, anglers tend to be more reactive instead of proactive. And a lot of times the bus has already run them over before they even know what hit them. Yeah. And, and that's, that's one of our biggest challenges, really, is just trying to get people to be aware of these issues. And it's different in every state, different issues, different problems. But they've got to be aware of them, and they've got to get involved in the process early so that the voice of the angler and the boater can be heard and be part of the solution. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of times, by the time we hear about some of the issues that are going on, uh, the trains are pretty far down the track. Yeah, and it makes it very difficult for us to to do anything with that. Now, you know, in 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 my work uh, with BASS, I've got forty seven state conservation directors around the country that are all volunteers. They just work with uh, their local. DNRs or uh, or lake authorities on on specific issues and problems, working with habitat improvements, working with invasive species, uh, tournament fish care, uh, just regulations, that sort of thing. So they're they're kind of our our early warning system that that helps us get involved in projects and and issues. A lot of times, when it comes to the political side of things, I even push it uphill to a couple of our partners, and ASA is one of them. Uh, the Government Affairs Committee, uh, we have uh, the uh, ASA Government Affairs Committee has uh, a whole bunch of people on
4: it. But the ASA staff, uh, Mike Leonard and Connor
3: Bevan are the two that, that we work with, and they're working out of Washington, D.C. And, and they, they will dive in knee-deep into the political things. And and a lot of times we we let them kind of lead the charge in a lot of that respect. Uh, another group that we work with a lot is the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation. Uh, Chris Horton and his team do a lot of work on the, the legislative side, both at the state and federal level. And we, we have to rely on them a lot, for especially for the work and help with the political issues
1: absolutely and I uh, have worked with uh, Mike and Connor I sit on a few committees myself uh, you know uh, membership and retail the things that apply to me or um, the uh, our three committee trying to just work with other groups so that we're all trying to make the resources that we have for clean, accessible water is easy to get licensing, all of that stuff, everything that the ASA and all these other groups do. NMMA, um, we all are our partners in this. And and for the the consumer to get out there, doesn't uh, Bass has a Bassmaster has a page? Is it just a Facebook page that they can go to to stay informed on that? And I know I see you comment on there quite often.
3: Yeah, we do, actually. I, I administer the, uh, the bass. It's called BASS Conservation. It's a Facebook group. And I try to post something on there every day or two. I, I, I kind of scour the Internet, and I have a lot of connections where I'll follow uh, follow other organizations and see what all kinds of things that they're doing in the conservation world as it as it relates to water quality and aquatic resources and particularly to bass fishing. And I'll post those things on that Bass Conservation Facebook group. Uh, we also have uh, Bassmaster.com has a conservation news section, which we will, we'll put feature articles and things on there every, every so often. But the, the Facebook group is, is certainly the more dynamic of the two because we put something up there every couple of days trying to just let people know what's going on in other parts of the country. And, and hopefully people will see things on there that they can look at that and say, hey, I, I can do that on my lake, or I want to get involved in that kind of project on the lake or river or reservoir that I fish on. And, and maybe it'll kind of spark some discussions and, and some interest in getting people motivated to do some things to improve the fishing on their lakes.
1: Absolutely. Being aware is only part of the the issue is you're trying to get to these people so they act on it and they do something and they make things better. And, and I think that's great. And I'll hear people that will say... You know the fishing is better than it's ever been. Okay, well let's if it is for you, let's keep it that way. But I think there's a lot of factors, not only the conservation end of that, but the products are better, the things that we're using are better, the electronics are better. There's so many things that make it better. But but let's keep it better. Let's. I always. I the reason we started this podcast was uh, to leave our industry better than we found it, so that so that it's there for the next generation, and and that's what we all want, and and. You, uh, in conjunction with Bass, and you do that. And if they, like you said, they go to the Bass B A S S Conservation Facebook page, they can be informed. But you certainly want them to act on it too.
3: Oh, exactly. You got it. We got to we got to have put those uh, those thoughts and words into action, and and that's how we make things. That's how we make things better. That's how we protect what we've got and And move forward with it. then uh, it all it all starts with people being aware of the issues, but then, like you said, very much so, they've got to act on it. and uh, not just uh, we don't want people to just be keyboard warriors and complain and and talk about it on social media. They need to get out there and and do the work to make things better.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. okay, here's the here's the hard question. Where's the best place to catch largemouth or smallmouth in this country? What what body of water is there? Are they both different or can you catch them both in the same place? Wow. Um, <laughs> Sorry about that, Gene. You know, the, the, the,
3: the really the, the nice thing about especially largemouth bass is that
4: they're they're in almost every state except Alaska. Yeah. So, uh,
3: you you can find a really good place to fish for largemouth almost anywhere. Smallmouth, the range there is a little more restricted. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I gosh, I don't know if I had to pick one. If I had to pick one lake uh, where where I could really go and catch quality smallmouth and quality largemouth, the first thing that pops into my head is Pickwick Lake in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pickwick has a really good smallmouth fishery and a good largemouth fishery. Uh, there there's also some great fisheries up in the, in the northern states that are kind of untapped people don't know a lot about them uh but uh you know just day in and day out for for quality multi-species in fact you can throw spotted bass in there
1: at yeah 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 uh,
3: so i i think you gotta you gotta look at something like that might uh might
1: be top of my list. Yeah, and, and they got a growing season that's 12 months out of the year, unlike some of the northern lakes that, you know, they're covered with ice right now, and those that's fish right. don't, don't right. grow so fast then. Right. No, that's a big difference. Well, uh, definitely uh, any, any highlights, uh, good or bad, for the year? We've got uh, about a minute and a half uh, on this interview left that you, you would want to point out to the listeners on conservation-wise. Well,
3: the, the, the biggest thing that we've run into, I think, this year, if I had to pick one issue that, that has hit us from all sides in different states is aquatic plant management.
4: Mm.
3: Uh, we've got problems in a lot of states where there's, there are groups that are trying to eradicate a lot of the aquatic plants so that we know that that makes great habitat for fish. Mm. And going back to what I said earlier, the anglers have to be part of that discussion. Because if they don't, the groups that are trying to eradicate these plants, they want that lake or that river as clean as a swimming pool. And that's not good for fish or fishing. And so we've got to get people engaged in those discussions. And as we've always said, we want to have a seat at the table when we have those discussions on any kinds of management of these aquatic vegetation and habitat.
1: Well, that is always that's good advice, and uh, I am happy that you're at that table many times and uh, and helping uh, towards vast conservation. Appreciate it, Gene, and uh, look forward to an awesome 2023.
3: Thank you very much. I appreciate you calling, and we uh, we're looking forward to next year as well.
1: Excellent. Thank you, Gene. That was Gene Gilliland. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sellers Remote, and this segment was brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel. For those with a passion for the outdoors, the We Fish ASA podcast will be right back.
2: The
0: outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Calcutta, we're an outdoor coastal trading company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Born in the back of a Florida bait-and-tackle shop, Calcutta was created with a rebellious spirit and a goal to offer hardworking outdoor products at a reasonable price. Calcutta builds the products that fit your lifestyle. We're on a mission to help you reclaim your free time and to declare mutiny on the mundane. Depend on Calcutta gear and apparel. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting rail. While Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV, The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long-control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. the ultimate finesse long-cast system designed by Daiwa. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner, Dave Kranz, is remote. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Please help to ensure the future of fishing by visiting keepamericafishing.org. And if you're an industry professional, please consider joining the American Sport Fishing Association by visiting asafishing.org. We're going to finish off the year here with our final guest of 2022. And I guess because, uh, This will be up, or it'll be up forever, but it'll be the lead show for a week. He'll be our first guest for 2023 as well. He is a long-time fisherman. This guy has had a career that is so phenomenal. Somebody should write a book about it. Oh, he did write a book about it. Please welcome Mr. Rodney Honeycutt. Hey, Rodney, how are you doing? I'm doing quite fine, and it's, and it's good to have you. Um, you're the author of a book that has recently come out. It's called Long Guns and Great Fishing Runs by Rodney Honeycutt. Folks, it's available at Redhawk Publications, redhawkpublications.com. And we'll tell you another way you can get a little bit later, but first, let's find out what Rodney is all about. Why did you decide to write a book? Even about four
4: years ago, I had a a little health scare. I was paying the price for all the fishing I had done as a teenager and a preteen, shirtless and without hats. Uh, I had three melanomas simultaneously. Uh, Surgeon was a good friend of ours, and he called my wife and I in his office, and he was very candid with me. I'd hunted and fished with him before, and he said, "Uh, "This is going to be a challenge, but we're going to get you through it." But he knows that I prefer a candid, so he said, but you better get your life in order. So, on the way home, uh, Sharon, my wife, asked me if I would uh, put down my hunting and fishing stories. and I made a deal with her. I said, I'll tell the stories if you'll do the topping. So, here we are almost four years later, uh, 342 pages later, and it's finally come to fruition.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, you know, I, I understand uh, uh, what you're saying and, and that you are encouraged. All the while you have lived Rodney Honeycutt's life, did you think as, as the, the years were transpiring, I, I have a, a book worthy life? I'd really like to get my story out there where people always said, hey, Rodney, tell us a story. Tell us about this. Tell us about that. Is that the kind of guy you are?
4: I enjoy telling stories, especially to young people. I enjoy introducing them to the outdoors, both hunting and fishing. Uh, And yes, I've been blessed. This is a chronicle of my life, but as Dave Brett once said, uh, the people that are larger than life that I have been
0: able and blessed to spend time with are what really make the book interesting. Tell us about your family, the people that uh, brought you onto this earth and got you started in hunting and fishing. Absolutely amazing. Hang on. What um, I had read in the press release that you had caught a uh, nearly a ten-pound bass when, when you were just a child by age nine. Uh, was that recorded for posterity somewhere, or is that just a story that you and your family are aware of?
4: I was on Santee Cooper with uh, my grandfather when I was nine years old, and. Uh, we always uh, went to the dam in the morning to were stripper fishing and would wait on the shad guys to net the shad and we'd buy some from them and we would make some cash with broken back memos uh, while we were waiting on those guys to get our shad. And I hooked this bass that day and he went to the bottom of the boat and there was probably 300 pounds of strippers on top of him by lunchtime and we were That's going right. in and I said, I said, Granddaddy, would you please let me weigh this fish? So he pulled up to the marina uh, and held the boat, dug the, stripper, I mean, dug the large mouth out from underneath the boat, it on meat scales, drove it back to the boat, filleted it, and grandmother fried it for dinner. No, it's not recorded in the newspaper or anything. He didn't believe that that was a real accomplishment.
0: I, I understand that, but things changed for you. Because all of a sudden, it wasn't much long after that. You were very, very young when you started fishing tournaments.
4: Yeah, I think the. I think it was March of 1968. Dad and I were on our way to Lake Norman, which was our local fishery that we had figured the bass out on in the mid '60s. It was a relatively new impoundment. Dad said, "We got a letter today from Mr. Ray Scott. He wants us to come to uh, UFO, Alabama, in June and fish one of his tournaments." And he said, "Are you in?" And I said, "Yes, sir." Let's go. So that's the rest. How the rest started. I was very blessed at 15 years old to try a be a partner. Uh, hooked a lot of fish that day. Uh, most of them broke me off because I was using 12-pound test line, fishing stick-ups and log jams, and uh, John Powell was using 20-pound test line. He went on to win the tournament, but uh, long story short, I had a 9-6 that day and an 8.15 and several other nice fish and managed to uh, have big fish in the tournament and actually ended up being the first Carolinian uh, to ever earn a check in a BASS event. So uh, that's kind of how it all got
0: started, Stephen. That is is absolutely amazing. It's it's a a long life, a long story, and and so much to do. You've seen the changes over the years. You know, I I get a kick out of it. They have uh, antique fishing tackle tournaments where you've got to fish with – uh, rods and rails that are, you know, a- a antique or I don't know how many years old they have to be, but it definitely shows the differences between fishing in the old days and how it's changed to now. Uh, can you believe what has happened with fishing since you started doing this back in the day up till today? Because you're still fishing.
4: Stephen, it's incredible. I was also blessed along the way. Uh, for example, I think it was a spring of. 1970 and dad and I were in UFO, uh, practicing for the upcoming, uh, Henshaw Memorial Tournament for, I think it was July of 1970. And, uh, Tom L. was a good friend of ours and he could not fish that tournament because race God forbid any local pros, quote unquote, to enter his tournament. So, uh, dad had won the event in 69 and become close to Tom and Tom was helping us and, uh, we'd look at maps with him at DOT, and then we each had two separate boats and we went out by day and, and, and checked the fish and found some fish but during that time Dad and Tom had started playing with a death fighter, taking a Heath kit and they had a radiologist at the, the local hospital that was helping them figure out how to take the big engine interference out of it but long story short, Stephen I was actually in the room at 17 years old this story is in the boat uh, when Bad Blake Honeycutt, and Tom Mann uh, decided to start and launch Hummingbird. Uh, so, in, in fact, I had the part in naming that, that story's in the book as well. But to say that I've seen the evolution of bat fishing would be probably an understatement. There was a lot of those type situations.
0: Well, uh, there at the birth of Hummingbird, that's rather amazing unbelievable and you know the names you are talking about tom tom mann all these people hall of famers and anybody who's not familiar with your father blake honeycutt was one of the first bass masters one of the best guys on the tour uh too bad he wasn't doing it now he's just born you know a a generation too early to collect the big money and actually same with you do you regret the fact that the sport has transformed into a something that gives out $100,000 paychecks and, and you never made anything near that.
4: Well, I think it's actually incredible. In fact, there's a story that's not in the book. It's in there partially, but my dad was still alive when I wrote the story and out of respect for him. I, I didn't tell it because he always felt bad about it, but one of the reasons, I, I fished four tournaments by the time I was 17 years old and I earned a check in three of the four Including two top tens. And then I was scheduled, I graduated from high school at age 17. I was scheduled to go to uh, uh, college in September. Uh, but I went with dad to uh, Lake Sam Rayburn to practice in August. And I came home and I said, Mom, I'm not going to college. I'm going to Sam Rayburn in September. I want to fish for a living. And she didn't have anything to do with that. And of course, I was 17. Dad owned my boat, Dad owned my car. And guess what, Stephen? <laughs> I went to college.
0: <laughs> uh, I had a funny feeling. I, I could guess the end of that story before you said it, and uh, I think that's marvelous. Did you finish college?
4: <laughs> uh, no, sure, I did not. But the rest of what happened to my fishing came next. Uh, uh, the summer after my freshman year, I turned. I was working, and I turned on the 6 o'clock news, and it was Walter Cronkite. And he said December fourth earns first draft priority. So my military obligation finished off my early career in fishing and and uh, uh came back after that and uh, went to work and, and had kids and raised a family and fished on, Uh fish federation, fish occasional bass event just for the fun of it, but nothing serious. I didn't I didn't pursue it in a serious way at all after that.
0: Huh. very, 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 very interesting, very interesting. We're gonna take a break. We're we're here with uh, we're here with Rodney Honeycutt. He's the author of Long Guns and Great Fishing Runs. Uh, this guy's got an incredible life that he has put in the print. Uh, uh, some beautiful photographs that. Uh, Uh, with with some people that you'll blow your mind to see who this guy has fished with and hung around with over the years. If you're interested in the book, you can find it at redhawkpublications.com. If you would like to get a personalized copy, you can contact Rodney at his email address, which is r at honeycut.com. r at honeycut.com. He'll send you a personalized copy if you buy one through him. We're going to take a quick break, and we come back, we'll be on again with a a true legend in the sport, an author, the author of Long Guns and Great Fishing Runs. He is Rodney Honeycutt. I'm Steve Surley, and we will be right back.
3: You know, when I look at the tournaments I've won, probably... Four or five of the boats that I've won have been on a tube. But I've completely gotten away from flipping a tube because
1: no many, nobody made one soft enough. Big bite has come with this new tour series of bait. The thing that's probably the most unique is when you look at that bait, the salt just rolls out of it. And to me, that is the reason a fish bites a tube and hangs on it. This isn't one of those, let's go out and catch some smallmouth tube. This is a let's get it done tube. Bass
0: anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long-control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. We're proud to celebrate 70 years of passion and commitment to making the best rods on earth, Saint Croix. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Serling. My partner Dave Kranz is remote. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. And you talk about sport fishing and you want to know who knows everything going on. This guy's one of them. He's been around for a long time. He's gotten to share time in the boat with some of the most incredible legends of the sport. He is Mr. Rodney Honeycutt. Rodney, tell us about some of the people that you've fished
4: with. I will do that. Uh, First, may I say, the email address is r at rhoneycutt.com, r at rhoneycutt.com. We left the second R out a minute ago. But back to answer your question, it started at a, my first tournament. Uh fished with uh, John Powell, who went on to become a Hall of Famer, went on to win the tournament, uh, practiced many days with Tom Mann on Lake Ufola, Uh Fished with uh, Ray Martin, was my roommate for a week when I was a senior in high school. Uh, dad, uh, <laughs> my dad uh, shared his knowledge of topography with Roland. we worked on his maps at night and then apply it on the water the next day. Uh, Fished with Bill Dance. Uh, just the list goes on and on, but the real relationship with uh, a superstar or an icon uh, e- developed with uh, Ray Scott. Uh, in 1992, Ray decided that we'd been camping going to Via Mexico since the 70s, and but in 1992, Ray decided that he wanted to have a brick-and-mortar headquarters, and wanted to have boats, uh, so he invited myself, uh, he invited Forrest Wood, Bob Cobb, and Bill Schroeder to form a bass club, and the bass club was named La Casa de los Cinco Amigos, the House of the Five Friends. and. I made 105 trips over the next 20 years, uh, and, of course, I fished with Forrest and Bob Cobb. Back in the 70, late 70s, I was blessed to take Kenny Rogers fishing part a few times, Bill uh, Earnhardt, and then that later went to uh, hunting opportunities with him. Uh, the list just goes on and on. I, I, I've got some you know, some saltwater time in and also some hunting time in the book, but it's, uh, it's a big dose of bass fishing.
0: Oh, Unbelievable. And, you know, I find that uh, uh, there's more, you know, if uh, you come to Chicago and pick up the Chicago Tribune, which is the the main, the largest newspaper, there's not a fishing column in it. There's not a mention of fishing. And and I think these editors that are in downtown Chicago say, oh, we're far too sophisticated to talk about fishing. That's a bunch of uh, good old boys down south that are doing this. they don't know what they're talking about. My God, everybody loves fishing, and I like—I love to interview. I love to talk to people from other endeavors that are famous for what they do, like entertainers and uh, athletes, and get them talking, because if they fish or they hunt, they want to talk about it. They want to talk about that way more than they want to talk about playing music or uh, hitting a home run. They want to talk about hunting. They want to talk about fishing. And and I wish they would talk more about it and get the word out there because then maybe uh, these big city editors would realize, hey, this is what the people are really into. It's, it's, it's not a, a, a little niche sport. This is something that, that spans the globe. It spans every type of person, every age, men, women, children. Let, let's let's get the word out there and I think that something like what you're doing or what you're talking about helps get that word out to the public. Uh, do you agree with me?
4: I agree with you uh, totally Stephen. Uh, you've heard me mention Ray Scott I can't say that name enough we we spent more than a thousand days and nights together doing things other than Mexico We hunted together and did other venues and fishing as well but what I can tell you is that I saw countless times. I mean, countless times that people like Bo Jackson or Bobby Knott, uh, Travis Triott, uh, Charlie Daniels uh, would come up to Ray Scott and he would introduce himself and they would say, well, I know who you are, Mr. Scott. Can I get your autograph? Uh, so, right. you know, the, 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 the stars of, of these various sports, and Delaware Earnhardt was the same way. Delaware Earnhardt absolutely worshipped the forest wood. Uh, and, you know, the stars of our sport of bass fishing, are the stars to the people of NASCAR, Major League Baseball, NFL? Uh, they look up to the Bill Dasses and the Roland Martins and the Ray Scotts of the world.
0: Oh, I can I can definitely see that, and uh, the the beauty of it is we're, we're talking about. Uh, we've met, you have mentioned a number of names of guys that are. Senior citizens now, you know? And, and the amazing thing is, you fish, you don't have to slow down. You can fish into your 60s, your 70s, your 80s. It's a sport that doesn't go away, you know? You can go to school and, and join all these sports, These play hockey or whatever, and I know that there are, there are over 40 hockey leagues, but there's only a handful of the public that plays in something like that. But you, you, you become a fisherman and... You've got yourself a sport for life. You've got a, re, a relaxation uh, uh, outlet for you. You've got something you can do to occupy yourself in a healthy and wholesome manner. It's a, it's a great fish. It's a great sport, and it's ageless.
4: Yes, that's true, Stephen. In fact, there is a, a story that uh, I think you will enjoy in the book. Uh Ray Scott and I were drowning worms, plastic worms, of course. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. On Lake Novia watching a sunset and uh, he was uh, 30, excuse me he was uh, 59 years old at the time and I was 39 years old and uh, I said Ray, I want to ask you a question I said all these people that you have fished with uh, sitting presidents and federal judges and senators and I said why am I in the back of the boat with you? Why am I a member in this? And Ray turned around he didn't hesitate, he looked me straight in the eye He said, because in 20 more years, I'll be 80, and you'll be 60, and you'll still have to come with me down here, and my other friends will be either too old or gone. And you know what, Stephen? We made our last trip to Novia when he was 80 and I was 60, and I wouldn't take the world for that.
0: Oh, my goodness. uh, That's phenomenal. And... uh I, I, not uh, I'm not too proud to say that uh, you put a little tear in the corner of my eye there telling that story. I think that's absolutely wonderful. I, I, re- I really do. And uh, uh, it's obvious the affection you have for Ray Scott and and so much of what he's done. And uh, one thing I always enjoy hearing people talk about Ray Scott was how he ran his tournament business so legitimately and how he had no tolerance for people who broke the rules.
4: He had zero tolerance for cheating. I mean, zero. It didn't matter who it was. Uh, I'll never forget as long as I live that And this was not a broken rule. It was just the possibility of enforcing a rule. We were rooming on Lake, uh, Lake Gaston back in the, I don't know, sometime in the 70s. And this a tournament that I had gone to fish just for fun and uh, we had a bridge, a big house, and uh, Mom and Dad were staying in it. My wife, Joanna, and I were were staying in it. Forrest and Nana were staying in it, and Harold and Sa Sharp were staying in it. And so we would have dinner together every night. But the second day of the tournament, I had a real small limit of big fish. And my mom was sitting in the front row. And one of my fish, I mean, they were all just 12-inch fish. And one of my fish, Harold kept turning it over and over, and over, and rubbed its belly, and he finally got it to rub, I mean, to to measure 12 inches, and my mom asked him at night, that night at dinner, what were you going to do if that fish didn't measure, and Harold said, I was going to cull it. (laughs) We were at dinner together, and he told that, and he meant it too, I mean, that's just the way they operated back in the early days.
0: How do you like tournament fishing? Now, I assume that uh, if your fucking channel's on the TV set and you come across a fishing show, you might spend a couple of minutes watching it. What do you think of today's fishing business?
4: Well, you know, it's it's, it's grown. It's been commercialized, and roughly so. Uh, I was at uh, Ray's uh, celebration of, of life on October the 4th in Montgomery, and the old timers that are left were we there, and dance was there. In fact, dance and Johnny Marsh and I took a photograph together, and with my wife Sharon there as well. And and we were talking about how we were becoming the old timers, and uh, you know, it, it's still it's still a fun sport. It's just evolved because of equipment and talent and communication, and it's so easy uh, to get together what took us decades to learn on our own just by picking up a magazine today. So, you know, I don't think the evolution is over. Uh, As long as we protect the resource, I believe it will go on way into the future.
0: Excellent. Very, very good. Is there any place uh, that you have not fished that you would still like to go fishing at?
4: If I had one place to uh, hang my last sombrero up, (laughs) <laughs> and knowing it was my last bay, it would have to be uh, Lake Novelia, Mexico. That was not... Ray and I, we did a lot of fishing, but we did a lot of what he called spelunking. That's going around looking for junk in, in old Mexican villages and cave exploring and caves that had never been entered by uh, a lot of before before. Uh, the fishing, though, was absolutely fantastic. The fellowship, it was... uh it was a slice of heaven on earth. So I would, I would say that that would be hands down. I mean, I fish Ray's Lake with him, and that's probably the best fishing lake uh, of all time. Uh, but I would take Novia over that lake any day. And no, nah, I think I pretty well, uh, I think I pretty well completed my my bucket list, Stephen. I, I enjoy it all.
0: That's amazing to to be able to say I completed my bucket list. For Pete's sake, that is. Uh... Uh, that is absolutely phenomenal. All right. I imagine that in all these years of fishing, uh, Rodney Honeycutt, you have thrown just about every bait that's ever been made. Is there any, if it came down to the fact, you got, you got a, I'm going to put you in the boat or your rod and rail. I'm going to give you one bait to select and that's all you're going to fish with is one bait. What are you picking out of all the years of baits that you fish with? What's the one bait that would be your confidence lure for the one bait challenge?
4: A modified Shorty seventy-five pumpkin, hands down. Really? Yes, sir. Why? Well, it's uh, you know it's good for uh, this isn't what it's intended for, but it's very effective for schooling fish on top, and it's effective to as deep as the fish go. I have caught. Uh, 10 pound tile fish in salt water in 500 feet of water on a spoon. <laughs> uh, it's, it, you, you can use it at any depth. Uh, he, obviously, you don't want to fish shallow water with it on a regular basis. Right, but, right. You know, I, that, would, that would be a different story. That would be a plastic worm, but but the spoon would be if I had one and one only and I needed to put meat on the table, it would definitely be the spoon from past experience.
0: And, and, and amazingly, uh, spoons have made a comeback in the last couple of years. So, yeah, everything comes back again in fishing, it seems like, doesn't it?
4: Yes, the spoon uh, The spoon became popular, and, and it became a an alarm for the fish. Uh, uh, it's got to be presented properly. The worst thing you can do with the spoon is drop it into the center of a fish, the uh, center of a school. You want to work the edge of the school to start with and gradually get into the school of fish. And the and, uh, line weight is very critical for follow weight. You hear Bill Benson. But the spoon became unpopular because it was actually being overused and it was spooking the fish. But I think more and more people have learned how to properly use it. That's why it's made a comeback.
0: That's a good lesson right there, man. We, I can do this for hours, but we're out of time. Folks, you've been listening to a true legend in the sport. His name is Rodney Honeycutt. Rodney Honeycutt is a great fisherman, has always been. He's fished with everybody. My goodness, uh, He's, he's got uh, pictures that could fill the, the halls of any museum around. Uh, it, it's just incredible. And you've got a chance to share in this by picking up a copy of the book, Long Guns and Great Fishing Runs by Rodney Honeycutt. Check it out. Go on the internet uh, to uh, redhawkpublications.com. Redhawkpublications.com. You learn about the book, how you can get it. If you would like an autographed copy, Rodney would be happy to send you one if you purchase it through him. Email Rodney at r, at rhoneycut.com. rhoneycut.com uh, for a copy of Long Guns and Great Fishing Runs. Boy, this guy has a uh, little life, a life that many of us dream of, uh, and he's still going strong. Uh, go out, get this book, Long Guns and Great Fishing Runs. And, Rodney, hopefully we'll be able to talk to you again in the future. I really enjoyed having you on, and I look forward to our next
4: meeting. My friend, I enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate the opportunity, and I, too, look forward to talking with you again in the future.
0: Thank you so much. He is Rodney Honeycutt. That wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA podcast, the best art fishing show on the radio or Internet in the entire USA. I'd like to thank today's guest, Dan Johnston from St. Croix, Gene Gilliland, conservation expert and great guy. And I visited with Rodney Honeycutt, author of Long Guns and Great Fishing Runs. Can you believe all the people this guy has fished with? He is a treasure. Let me tell you, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Croix, the best rods on Earth, Calcutta, makers of a lot of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, and Daiwa. We have your bass covered. They sure do. Daiwa Reels. Remember that WeFishASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available everywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to try our website out, WeFishASA.com. You can listen to the show there. You can communicate with us at WeFishASA.com. We answer all of our mail, so please have at it. You know, if you like what you hear, you can let us know. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about or somebody you want to have on the show, please let us know that too. I'm Steve Sally, my partner's Dave Kranz. We'll see you next week now. Let's go fishing!
3: I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn-out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit keepamericafishing.org and pledge to pitch it.